it's Liz Kelly. Here are a few things to check out in the Ringer universe before the end of the week. We've got an oral history on the movie Rounders 20 years later going up on Thursday. So read that and then check out the Rewatchables episode that Bill and Sean did on the movie earlier this month. And don't forget about our extensive football coverage. We have a new pod going up every day of the week on the Ringer NFL show and more football content on the Bill Simmons podcast, Dual Threat and Against All Odds. Subscribe to those and more on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's going on, jabronis? It's Pitch Mr. Perfect, Skylar Aston. Hey, this is Bruce Pritchard. Gross battle season one champion, Mike Hunt. The king of sad stop. The Silver Lake heartthrob. It's Troy Kirby. It's Nick Mundy. It's this is your real WWE superstar, the legit boss, Sasha Banks. Hey, this is WWE superstar, Braun Strowman. My name's Kevin Owens. I'm Shinsuke Nakamura. Zach Linder. Dan Black, a.k.a. the Goofaraja. I'm AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, if you will, and you're listening, you're listening to this. You're listening to, listening to and you are listening to the you're listening, listening, you're listening, you're listening to the Mask Man the Show. Man the Mask Man Show. Mask Man Show. The Mask Man Show. Mask Man Show. Mask Man Show. Welcome to the Mask Man Show. I am your host, David Shoemaker, here, as always, with the only man who can make a recliner out of an office chair and a sofa, <laughs> the King of Sad Style, Dan St. Germain. How you doing, man? I am in full hell in a cell recap <laughs> cruise mode, David Shoemaker. What a pay-per-view. What a, well, we, we certainly had uh, a, an episode of Raw and an episode of SmackDown, and on the horizon, so many pay-per-views yeah, or special events. Or glorified house shows, we will get into the cataclysmic debate over how to describe <laughs> these big events later in the show. But first things first, the main we just event. Call that the Melter Zone. Yeah, first things first, the main event of this podcast um, is the main event of Hell in a Cell. I think this was sort of I said right before we came on. To me, Hell in a Cell was a tale of two of tale of two pay per views because I could not have been more stoked. I mean, more, I mean, if more in on a WWE pay-per-view than I was going into the main event of, the, of, of this one. It was a great pay-per-view. And frankly, up until the main event. Going into, the, going into Sunday, I was more excited about the pay-per-view probably than anything else, despite the potential that all these matches had, right? I, yeah. Just because I thought, well, you know, I'm, always, you know, I'm, the, I'm the, the meta storyline, Mark, so I'm, I'm excited about what this says about where the company's going, et cetera, whatever. But also, I really thought they could do something fun and interesting, and I was excited to see them you know, whatever giant stunt they were going to pull, if they were going to do one, and then yeah, that kind of thing. But watching this show was a great time. But I, I want to start with uh, what many are calling the worst pay-per-view in the history of mankind. I yeah, mean, the worst main event it? in the history of man. I'm just kidding. Yeah. It's not that bad. But Braun Strowman versus the champion Roman Reigns for the WWE Universal title inside the bright red Hell in a Cell. Which was awesome. You like the redness. I did. I like change it up. I think red's the only color you can go. The whole time sure. I was watching it, I was like, well, you can't do blue. I guess you could do black, but then uh, you know the red yeah. the red was a cool little the red was a cool flourish. And I like you know, I like them owning it, but that was a very minor thing. Um so I mean, let's break down the match a little bit. They they had a Roman and, and Strowman have something in the in the broad definition of good chemistry together. 
I think they have great chemistry together. Um, I think that the, each of them have gotten the best matches out of. Well, I don't know, but they, 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 it, it is. I will say it's unique in the sense that it's two big men who can really work together well. They work together, and that well. doesn't happen a lot. So give them credit where credit is due. I think you know hindsight's twenty twenty. To me, it felt like the entire setup of the match was, you know, a big a setup for what was going to come in the you know at the end of the at the end of the show, and it wasn't just. Brock Lesnar. I'm not spoiling, I don't think, this for anybody by saying that the match ends with Brock Lesnar making a really shocking return, coming down, kicking the cage door open, beating both guys up, and then I think the real the real problem was at that point the, re- the second referee came in and made it a no contest. But we'll yeah, we'll get absolutely. we'll get to that. But it wasn't just the Brock part; it was the rest of the Shield, along with McIntyre and Ziggler coming out and doing all these cage top spots and brawling and everything. All that was fun and interesting in its own way. But it sure felt like that the match itself, like you forgot the match was going on by the time Brock Lesnar came out. And certainly by the end, when the ref called off the match, I was half wondering what he was calling off. It felt very much like, you know, the famous Hell in a Cell match, Undertaker versus Mankind. Before and after that pay-per-views, they were like like lowering and raising the cell and like having like variations of a tag team match inside the cell to prep you for the cell. That's kind of what the main event felt like. It felt like, the raw to prep you for Hell in a Cell rather than the Hell in a Cell match itself. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it, it, there were some really cool spots, you know? I think that uh, we're going to talk about the, the rest of the card in just a minute, but I think that after watching, I, w- when I watched Hardy and, and Orton, I was a little, I was even more amped up for the main event because because I was yeah. like, they're letting these guys go. They must have something special planned. And they did have something special planned. I don't want to take that away. But, it's hard to go in and and kind of go move by move through the through the main event. Um, you know, we've seen so many iterations of this over the years. It's really hard to make one of these matches special, as yeah. even though this even though Hell in a Cell is you know it's only once a year and whatever. I mean, but unless we break it up for WrestleMania, sure. Um, but I, I liked the. I mean, I, I liked a lot of what they were doing. I liked the, you know, repeated Superman punches and and Braun sort of stumbling around. I liked. I mean, Strowman had some really cool power moves. Um, there were some cool. I mean, just cool spots with tables and and uh, the kendo stick and and chairs. Everything. I mean, they they yeah, did I like it. that spot. They kind of did everything, but it felt a little bit like a checklist. I don't want to be too hard on the guys because it was probably like. It's so hard to wrap my mind around it. I don't. I, I didn't walk away as as disappointed. I think as most people did. Because well, for one thing, I was legitimately shocked in a way that I very rarely am by Brock Lesnar returning. Uh, it was. T- it's hard to top their ambulance match that they had. I thought that was a really great match. Mm-hmm. Um, or stretcher match, whatever the one where like Braun gets out of the way and and Roman. I think it was a, an ambulance match. I mean, you had to get the other four guys involved somehow. And letting them come out and do all the stuff they did, get on top of the cage, do the sort of not off the side of the cage table spot like that. That gave a little bit of extra oomph to the match. Well, I think that that's that's those are the spots for me that felt very checked by numbers. Yes. Like, yes. You know, people were complaining about this fall off the side uh, of the the spot that Rollins and Ziggler took uh-huh. when they both went through the announce tables and it looked incredibly choreographed. And I'm not an athlete. I'm not a professional wrestler. So I don't, I got really excited because I saw Ziggler dangling there and I was expecting a curb stomp yeah. in him to come back or curb stomp on a hand. 
and then him to fall, and that didn't happen. Um, and I'm in, you know, I'm glad it didn't happen because it's clearly wasn't safe if yeah. they did that. Um, but yeah, it was a, it, you know, I thought the spot when Seth and Dean did it back in their Hell in a Cell match was a little goofy. And this one looked just super choreographed, which I understand because yeah. Seth's trying to work a little bit smarter and he's putting on great matches. Yeah, but it it definitely it definitely felt choreographed. The whole thing, and it was too long. You know, it was too much of that. I'm not sure why it is beyond whatever the ethos, the rules of W of WWE are. I'm not I'm not sure why it, w- it would have been so hard just to have Reigns and Strowman hitting, just punching each other in the face for the whole seven minutes that those guys were fighting on top of the cell. Yeah, I don't think it really would have changed anything to if for them for, to not have them lying prone. Like what happened that they were both out cold for fifteen minutes or whatever. Well, it it's just or do another spot, have a, you know, have a couple table spots, which would make them. I mean, they did throughout the match, but I'm, you know, it was I, a long. It, it was a long. It was a long. It time. was a long time, and it was a long time for your two main event wrestlers to be lying on the ground. Um, but anyway, they they did that, and I think that took a little bit of heat off of the match itself. Then when Brock came out. It was it was a real shock, but it was so choreographed, right? I mean, it was it was like okay, we're done with the the partner run in scene, like, and then we went we go immediately to Lesnar, and then, I mean, I guess my question is this, because I know you want to talk about Lesnar. I think if they had worked the schmas with the other guys and a little bit of if they had streamlined that or or you know done it in a little bit different yeah. way or done it in a way that involved the two main eventers, and then even without Brock Lesnar. If they had just done a spot where, whatever, where Braun Strowman ripped the cage door off from the inside, brought it into the ring, and then Roman Reigns speared him while he was holding it and Roman got the win, like, that would have been no different of a match, but it wouldn't have been as disappointing. Does that make make sense what I'm saying? Like, I don't think the match was that bad. I just felt like they were building to something that the two guys in the match actually didn't pay off. Yeah, I mean, here's another way to make the side of the cage spot mean more. You have Braun and Roman go up the cage, and then Braun pulls Seth off, and then Roman pulls Ziggler off. Yeah, exactly. And you can there do you. the same... You can have a, uh, the same spot, but it's a variation of it. Um, I think that... You know, look, when Brock came out, he ripped the cage off, which I thought looked awesome. He threw it in the ring, and I was getting really excited about, like, a, some sort of German or suplex onto the side of the cage, which yeah. didn't happen. But the easy fix... Instead of a double TKO, it was just him F5ing Roman onto Braun, and Roman gets the pin. Yeah. The, it's it's so easy, and that, for me, would have left the, left me satisfied. And left you wondering if Brock did it because he prefers Roman or exactly. because he just wants to maintain the status quo or because he doesn't care. Uh, yeah, yeah. By the way, all those questions speaking about the, 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 door, the cage door in the ring, there is nothing more frightening than when something like a legitimate piece of whatever i mean of of metal or a, a, when a prop that can actually hurt you doesn't act in the way that it's supposed to act yeah and nobody's noticing and when brock came in and clearly set the door up in the corner and then went about beating up dudes and the door fell off behind him i was like oh someone's gonna land nose first onto that thing and it's yeah. gonna be terrible i mean every time brock works it looks awesome but you know whether he's throwing a money in the bank briefcase or that time where I think he threw a sledgehammer. It was during the Seth Rollins feud. He threw a chair. He threw something. He threw a chair, and you're just like you're just waiting for this to give it's somebody end badly in the crowd. But yeah, I mean, I thought I mean the WWE could gets have been a great fix. WWE is is in an incredibly safe space by by virtue of being fake. If Brock Lesnar, he doesn't have to hit anybody. If he threw something, if he threw a chair from the UFC cage out into the entrance area and it landed safely, there would still be lawsuits. 
WWE's got this like past because everybody vaguely thinks the chairs point. are made out of Nerf materials. Or yeah, something. I mean, and I also think that as far as as far as uh, Brock is concerned, and I, I'm going to say as far as stage spots are concerned, I don't mind a bunch of stage spots. I think the reason that Money in the Bank works so well, and I, I'll say this, I'll give this caveat: I like Money in the Bank better than like a War Games type match where there's a bunch of shit going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think the reason that Money in the Bank works so well is that you do have those... Ca- you have people on the side who are incapacitated, and you have two people pulling off spots in the middle of the ring. Yeah. Because it can't just be action the entire time. However, in this case, it didn't work. Yeah, it's true. Well, we have... We're going to we're gonna talk about the rest of the show, and we're going to talk about all of the upcoming pay-per-views or house shows or whatever you want to call them, glorified house shows, uh, a little bit later on. Um... But the big thing that Brock did in his return uh, on a on a you know uh, higher level on a meta level is that he set up the main event for Crown Jewel. Sure, WWE Crown Jewel. Um, How are they going to amp that up the in the next six months there in Saudi Arabia? I have no the idea. Super duper crowd Crown Jewel, <laughs> the crowniest jewel of all. Uh-huh. The um, but yeah, it's a uh, so we have so we have that now on the horizon, and the shock of Brock coming back, like I said, it was a real sincere shock. It was not. Yeah. I rem- I mean, I was watching the main event, thinking, I guess this is a little bit self refuting, but I was like, yeah, this really feels like a main event. Like I don't feel like we're wrestling in Brock's shadow. Like that was that was the fear, right? Like I, I kind of that that he would be still looming around just enough to make you forget make it hard to imagine these other guys as the real champion yeah and i was like no this feels legit these you know roman roman and, and braun feel like the guys and then of course brock comes back which was super cool but also now he's looming and he might only be looming for the sake of a you know million dollar saudi arabian paycheck yeah because wrestling numbers have never been inflated <laughs> you know <laughs> like everyone's saying that because somebody reported it backstage we, you know look it, it could go either way um, but did, well, I just made that up. Did someone actually say one million dollars? It's a seven-figure payday. Yeah. Do they pay him in just barrels of oil? Is that how that works? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another thing where it's like Saudi Arabia do, does clearly uh, it, it violates human rights across the board, and WWE <laughs> has given them and and people are giving WWE shit for working them, but like our government has worked with Saudi Arabia <laughs> forever, so it's like. I mean, it, it, it's I mean, it's a microcosm of a bigger thing, you know. That is true. So I, I don't know. I just want to touch upon that. That is true. As someone that has, a, as someone who who spends part of part of his time hosting a, uh, a media sports media politics podcast, this is one of those times where I was just like, where I just feel like I just want politics to be out of, you know, to get to get out of this conversation but it's sort of impossible you can't extricate those things in 2018 anyway we'll get to that we will talk about that some but first i want to talk about the rest of the show we talked about the shield members rollins and 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 uh dean ambrose uh, mcintyre and ziggler coming in and schmozzing up the main event um by the way that was also an important little thing i mean they needed to be a part of it because they've been part of the storyline also they made it seem even less feasible that something else crazy would happen. Right. But for whatever they contributed to the main event, those four guys had, I, I mean, the match of the night um, in their tag team match uh, in which uh, Ziggler and McIntyre beat Ambrose and Rollins to retain the tag team belts. You you talked about, you know, playing spots and lying around. I mean, this match was 
I would love a documentary on how this, on just the construction of this match. Because there were 12 spots in that match that you were like, oh, they had to have planned that out. Like, they, this, this felt like yeah. a match that must have been written on numerous pieces of graph paper, but it felt so organic and so smooth. And it might not have been planned out. Who knows? I don't know how... how I mean, how all of those guys have wrestled against each other for the past three months, so I think yeah. that helps. Oh, sure. I'm sure some of these things have happened at house shows and, and whatever else, but it was... Um, it was just a really, really good match, and it was a match where, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of time spent with the baby face, with one of the two baby faces powdered out on the floor. Um, my little guy, my 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 stepson was there, like asking, I mean, just going nuts, asking where Rollins was, and then in turn asking where Ambrose was, like, can he not get up? What's going on? You know, <laughs> but it was, but it was this, the story was told really well. I mean, it's just. It's a testament to tag team wrestling. I mean, it reminded me so much of watching great tag team matches as a kid. Um, and you know, for whatever you think about whether tag, you know, the future of tag teams or the the Vince Russo opinion of tag teams or whatever. I mean, like this is an example of four guys who really care about care about the story. Oh well, the, I think no one can argue that the past like three years, it's it's been the best tag team division we've seen in WWE. Now, whether or not you're uh, using actual tag teams like the Usos and the New Day, where that's really their gimmick, we're a tag team, or putting Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose or Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler, these people that were established, kind yeah. of, you know, uh, either uh, you know main event or upper main upper card people. Th this hasn't been this good since you know the Hart Foundation and the British Bulldogs and the Rockers, and you know it really it hasn't been this good in. Over twenty years. Yeah, there, I mean, I it's it's really incredible, and we're going to almost we're going to just by the constraints of time give short shrift or no shrift to the new day versus a uh, um, Rusev day, but they had a really good match too. And over there on SmackDown, they're telling stories about the t in a you know they're telling tag team stories in a way that Raw is certainly not, um, yeah. and doing incredible stuff over there. But I just want to give a, you know appropriate uh, applause to Ziggler, McIntyre, Ambrose, and Rollins for putting on, I mean, a traditional tag team match that fit seamlessly into 2018 and just blew the roof off the place. I mean, it was 25 minutes long and just, I mean, really, really... And a hard a thing to do because we've seen it a bunch of times. Yeah. Whew. Um, I mean, it was just just really, really well done. There were so many cool spots. I, I just can't, I can't, I can't speak highly enough of it. The other match that the other match in the night, and there was, and like I said, every the entire car going up to the main event was just lights out. The other match for me that I just have to talk about is Becky Lynch over Charlotte Flair for the SmackDown Women's Title. And it wasn't it it wasn't too long. It was you know Charlotte's really great. I mean I'm sure I'm going to get this timing wrong, but her match versus uh, you know Asuka at uh, WrestleMania, she's really good with whatever time they give her. Yeah, you know she she's really great at making. You know, Rey Mysterio is really good at that too. You know, she whatever time they give her, she's going to put out a great match. I think that's right, and she can and she and she sells. I mean, she got herself you know hurt in that match. Uh, did the got the, did the shoulder spot in a really like believable way relatively early in the match. But like I said, that's the sort of thing that like um, you're at Charlotte versus. Asuka was was 13 minutes for the record. You're absolutely right. This was 13, just it, this got 45 more seconds. Um, but John Cena would always do that. I always joke that like John Cena 
would find a way, and John Cena and Michael Cole, the greatest tag team in all of wrestling, would find a way to, tr- <laughs> or they, they would try to make you think that the match was 45 minutes in, about three minutes in. Like there would be some spot, Cena would get tossed over the top rope and he'd be sitting outside crying. And Michael Cole would just be going like, how could he, how is he still going? You know, and then, <laughs> Um, but the match had just started, but they kind of had, they they tried to like trick you into thinking you were an in-game way before you were because like whoever, Kane and Umaga weren't going to work 45-minute matches. So like, Right, right, right. Um, but anyway, you're right. This was a, cons- a relatively concise match. Um, Great finish, I thought. Incredible finish. Uh, and, you know, it's impossible to talk about without getting into Tuesday night. Um I have a really bad memory, especially for uh, things I've said that I don't still agree with. But I, but I do want to, I do want to make a qualified apology that Becky Lynch, as a as a heel or whatever she's doing right now, may end up being an incredible success. Oh uh, yeah, I think she's a tweener. I mean, uh. she's still getting cheered, which was the point that like how like why would you go through with making her the heel in the storyline? But I think they made the right decision. You know, I I think you you know I don't think she should go after the crowd. I, you know, I don't like to hear that signs are getting confiscated. You know, they're uh-huh. pro Becky at a main event. But you know what WWE may have unintentionally done is set up a which they're not going to do. They're not going to make Charlotte heel yet. But they may have set up a slow heel turn for Charlotte, right? Yeah, because she's not. You know, she's not getting she's not getting the cheers that Vince wants her to get, or I assume backstage wants her to get. And they're also not making Becky a total heel. Uh eventually this, you know, if they play if they if they do this organically, this could be an incredibly satisfying double turn. I don't disagree at all. I don't, you know, I I, I think her not shaking her hand was great, but I, I have a bad feeling that, you know. They're not going to do that, and it's just no, we'll going to be see. a Charlotte Let's, give, let's give them the benefit I'm of the getting doubt. getting them the benefit of the doubt. I know, I'm trying I, to be positive. I said that one thing I did say is that I know I have, with, you know, I can say with confidence that the from SummerSlam, I mean, that at SummerSlam, they had a long-term Becky Lynch arc in place. And the reaction that she got sort of, I think, made them second-guess it a little bit, but it's clear they stuck with it. And so, so far, it's been going, it's been working. I mean, it's so far, it's been... I don't, I, I don't, it's been working, I guess is a little bit of a weird statement. So far, I really like where they've gotten to. And I'm interested to see where they go. I think you're right about the potential for a double turn. I mean, it's, it's, it's real. And the, I think the other thing that's really important is that Becky, if Becky had been the baby face in this feud, she couldn't, she wouldn't be saying bitch on TV. Yeah. Can I say bitch on the Ringer Podcast Network, Jim? Uh, yeah. Don't be such a bitch. But here's the thing is, Cena would say bitch, though. That's like the Different. one first word they can say. True. But Becky, if Becky doesn't turn heel, she can't, she has, she, she'd have a harder time modulating her her persona. You know I what know, I mean? She could still call people bitches. As she a could. Face. She could. But it's, but she was so corny before. Like, she, she kind of needed to be, like, shaken and, like, reset in a way that Charlotte didn't. Because Charlotte can go in either direction. That's why I think that, I, I that's why I'm, I'm Qualify. I have a qualified appreciation for what they're doing. Um, one thing, though, man, if they want to make Becky a real heel, they're doing the the. They're already doing the most important thing for me, which is to constantly call her the Irish last kicker. Which is it fe- feels like they're saying it more now than when she was a babyface. I always <laughs> thought that was like a kid's T-shirt gimmick, <laughs> and I feel like they're saying disarm her much more clearly 
Like, why can't it just be the disarmor? Look, I don't know this whole thing of PG <laughs> entertainment with WWE, and 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 I'm I'm bouncing to the first, to the beginning of the card with Randy Orton and Jeff Hardy. You know, they're like, we're a PG show. We're not putting people on, you know, fake crucifixes anymore. We're not showing, you know, ex- sexually exploiting women anymore. But you did have a guy put a screwdriver through an earlobe. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is in every Saw movie. <laughs> so it's like, how is that for kids? That's like, it, it, yeah. it's, it's such a weird distinction that WWE makes where you have New Day throwing pancakes and then you literally have a horror movie villain in Randy Orton. Let's talk about that. Um that was so graphic. Before we before we get before we get fully okay. to that, just incredible. Uh, yay for Becky! She deserves to be um, the SmackDown Women's Champion. And the match people want to see is Becky versus Ronda, <laughs> not Charlotte versus Ronda at WrestleMania. Do Charlotte versus Ronda Survivor Series? All right, you heard it. You you WWE, but you better be listening. Yeah, let's talk about that horror movie match. Um, I turned it on uh, a few minutes into the match. I didn't realize they were going to start that one so early. Um, but that was a real match, man. That was a, that was the uh, probably the long, I'm looking right now second longest match on the card. Dolph's, the the tag team uh, raw tag team title match beat it by two seconds. Um, it was a proper match between two guys. And as crazy as the ear spot was, I was much more unsettled by by the not terribly serious cut on Randy's leg. I there's yeah, se- I mean that was probably the real injury. the The whole thing with the screwdriver was I'm like. This can't. This looks like it hurts so much that it can't hurt. Yeah, like th- This must be a situation. I I don't know who's had. I've never. I will not get a gauge in my ear. Oh, would you as do a it fashion for the show? Choice? Uh, what if no, we did a Kickstarter? I, I mean, you guys would. It would have to involve money. I, I'm not sure how much, but it would have to involve some serious money. It would have to be in a hundred thousand dollars. You're room. kind of in McFoley territory though, because you get a nice full head of hair that covers your ears. You could have a messed up ear and nobody would know. Well, that's uh, the most backhanded compliment I've ever received, David. <laughs> Anything but... that starts with you're in Mick Foley territory. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, maybe if I grow my hair long, but then it's like, it's one one thing to be a long hair guy, but then you, you get to know him and you're like, oh, he's a long haired guy because he's a, you know, a big earlobed guy. That's a weird, <laughs> that's a weird territory to be in. I agree. Um but Jeff and Randy really pulled out all the stops, man. Yeah, I mean, people complained a little bit about the table spot at the end that Randy got off the table too quick, which I think is fair, but it was still a cool spot. It's still cool that Jeff Hardy... And I, I was like, one of these things where I'm like, he can't do a swanton off the top of the cage. He just can't anymore. But he also can't just do a swanton off the top rope. He's got. There's got to be some sort of middle ground and I think they found it. I wish Randy had stayed on the table for a little bit longer because it but because it did feel a little bit like backyard wrestling. But no, having said that, it was still kind of fun to watch and it'll look fun in a highlight reel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean they were filming it. They were picking their camera angles carefully um at on first, you know, on, on the in the original airing. I mean it was they but it was I think that's fine. I mean who cares? Randy Orton's always gonna get out five you know one second early and that's 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 Randy. He's good. Um, he's very cerebral. He knows when to get out of the way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those guys got beat up and Jeff really sold it, got carted out. And I guess now is as good a time as any to talk about the fact that as soon as that was over, I got word from, you know, somebody texted me, I guess he's going to lie low till he can make a one last run with his brother. But it looks like Matt's 
Retired. Well, that's sad. And then apparently he was doing a house show two days later. <laughs> so I don't know how yeah. low he's. I mean, the the payoff for me, since we're jumping, you know, to SmackDown, it, it was, you know, Randy Orton in the control booth being like, yeah, show the ear. That that was awesome. That was a great heel move. Oh, yeah. That really creepy just showing up in the production room segment. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, whoever his next target is, whether it's Daniel Bryan or AJ Styles, I don't really know if there's any other target. For him, um, they're building that up quite nicely, as, as as nicely as a Randy Orton versus Daniel Bryan feud could be, which we've seen a million times. But eh, it'll be really good. Um, yeah, I, I I think it was. I I think that those guys, nothing surprised me as much as those as that match, the mm-hmm. Orton versus Hardy match, just in terms of its length and storytelling, and just my general enjoyment of it, and that really set the tone. For what turned out to all around be a really good card, um, uh, you know, we talked about Lynch Flair. We talked about the, the Raw tag team match, SmackDown tag team match, and mentioned um, AJ versus Samoa Joe. I thought it was really good. I thought that was really good too, man. You know, I, I thought the tap thing was fine. People, people were bitching online that AJ's explanation for the tap wasn't what they wanted to be, but. AJ's, you know, he's just never going to be that cut and dry. Whenever you try to make him too much of a cut and dry baby face, it's a little corny. Yeah. And, you know, he could have, yeah, I mean, it was a a double KO. Um, I mean, at best, that match could have been just a double KO. It's not like either guy won that match. Sure. So Samoa Joe didn't win that match. Uh, AJ may not have either, but he still keeps the title either way. Yeah, no, no, no. I think I think that's right. I mean, I, I said last week that I thought that they couldn't pull off this like never ending. AJ holds on to the title against all odds and will find a way to get Joe back in thing. Oh, you know, his competitor to keep the to keep AJ the champ, but to keep his competitor around, you know, on top. You know, they that was a good version of that. I they they figured out a way. You know, I was wrong. Um, but the I mean, the only thing we haven't talked about from Hell in a Cell. I think at this point is Ronda Rousey, which probably on a in a lesser pay per view would have merited some conversation. But you know, she had a match; she kept her belt, uh, you know, on on to the next thing. Yeah, that almost seemed like a like a match where she could prove to the company that she could work. Yeah, and it, and it, I think more but than I think anything, I mean, she came out on Raw and, and and complimented Alexa Bliss for being a better wrestler than she expected her to be. And I think that was actually the real takeaway from the match. Not that we didn't know Alexa could do that, but it's you know from a from the from the WWE office's point of view, that they made a match out of it, and, yeah. it, and it wasn't just a it wasn't just a glorified squash. Um, also, Alexa is one of these people who could be great in a page role and a GM role. I, I think she'd be way better in Baron Corbin's role than Baron Corbin. So yeah, it'll well, be interesting to see. I, I don't I don't hate Baron Corbin. I think Baron Corbin. Way. I mean, you, you know, I think Baron Corbin is the most valuable wrestler in all of WWE. <laughs> Um, but that that main event on Monday night was actually a lot better than I thought it would be. I thought it was better. Apparently, the ratings it, it totally dropped because nobody wants to see Corbin. But you know, I mean, I, I like the gimmick of restarting the match and saying it's a no disqualification match. I think that's really funny. Um, Somebody- I, I think people are just getting tired, you know, of the of the evil heel man. I you know, it's a WWE story that they know how to tell very well you know, evil authority figure. And they're not doing that with the McMahons right now, so they're doing it with Baron Corbin, you know, under the guise of Stephanie McMahon's blessing. But um, 
I, I think people are more revolting. I can't speak for everybody, but I, I, I think it's more revolt. People are revolting against the idea that there has to be this, you know, heel autocrat in charge of the show. I mean, I kind of like the gimmick of a wrestler being in charge because this is really what would happen if Kurt Angle was really in charge. He would act like Baron Corbin. Yeah. You would put yourself in the main event and you keep restart, you keep hitting your opponent with chairs and restarting yeah, the match so you won the title. I, it's it's a weird it's a weird push for Corbin, but I mean but let but in realistically, they're not going to give that gimmick to Dean Ambrose, to somebody who's already a top-tier guy, right? It's a it's a it's an it's a gimmick to get somebody over. Yeah. I did appreciate whoever it was that was in the crowd with the sign right behind Baron Corbin this weekend that said, "Excuse me, waiter, I'm ready to place my order." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, top-notch work there. Whoever in WWE creative came up with, you know, they bitch about WWE creative all the time, but whoever came up with the TGI Fridays thing, kudos. <laughs> you know, you look like a waiter at TGI Fridays. Yes. Well, we just talked, to, you know, the, oh, the oh, another match we didn't talk about from this super, I mean, from the Helen, Super Hell in a Cell was uh, Daniel Bryan and, and... The crown jewel of the cell. Yes. Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella versus The Miz and Maurice. Mm-hmm. Again... Fine match, interesting stuff, whatever. But they're now fighting at the Super Showdown. Correct me if I'm wrong, to be for the number one contendership, right? Yes, and which they had uh, people on online had, had bitched about that because they had already announced that. So Miz making that a storyline point. They're like, "Why are you bringing it up again? We already knew about it." Um. Well, that's okay. Um. But I. But I do think that. I mean, listen. Whoever wins that, I think they should do that more. That's one of the sort of indie wrestling. Um, I mean, I remember some of you know when I used to go watch Ring of Honor, they would always do that stuff. You know, it would be just like they would always have a match for a number one contendership as like the number three match on the card or number four match on the card for one belt or another. You know, and that's a great way to give some static to. I mean, to give some some oomph to a you know, a lesser feud without, and you don't need to waste a lot of story time to people doing yoga or whatever, you know? I mean, you can, you can, you can give some gravitas to it, to your second tier or whatever. And, and obviously whoever wins this match, that might be a throwaway. Like it might not, it might not amount to much, but it's important. And this is what I wanted to talk about is we have the super showdown coming up. Not long after that, we have evolution. And then not long after that, we have, uh, the crown jewel. And then how much longer until Survivor Series? Oh. Ten minutes. <laughs> well, is War Games the night before Survivor Series or is yeah. it a separate thing? It is? I believe so. And then there's Halloween Havocs in there somewhere too. I don't really know where the... <laughs> I uh, wish they brought back Halloween Havoc. Everybody does. But listen, <laughs> good job with the pay-per-view rollout though, by the way, to WWE because as even though we're not going to get too much into the politics of it this week, it's great that they gave Evolution its moment to shine and, and gave us all the, the chance to be really happy about it before we all at once realized that they just did that because none of those wrestlers were going to get to wrestle at Crown Jewel. Yeah, I don't know if that was the reason. That was the reason. Come on. I mean, it, it definitely was convenient, but... Uh... Yeah, I, you know, well, they're, ha they're, 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 they're happening four, five days apart. I've said this on the podcast before. There's nobody who could have done a better job promoting three events at the same time than WWE. Having said that, I still don't know if that's possible to do. You no, know, like, no, and and the question is, I mean, so the thing, the thing that caught my eye this week, Dave Meltzer, in response to somebody else, tweeted. Uh, I think oh someone was talking shit about the about the 
the crown jewel. And Meltzer said, 60,000 fans is not a glorified house show. Someone called it a glorified house show. So 60,000 fans is not a glorified house show. Um, And the November Saudi show brings in more money than any mania will for years to come. Look, I... Can we give Dave Meltzer a break? Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. That was This was in reference to in a, the Australia show, someone calling it a glorified house show. And then he, so he was defending both the Super Showdown, saying it's not a glorified house show, and uh, the and the Crown Jewel as uh, the huge money-making venture for WWE. Yes, we should all give Meltzer a break. I mean, listen, Meltzer spends a, uh, a lot of time replying cre- incredulously to... People trolling him on Twitter. Yeah, he's, so, so well, he, he brings a, a little bit of that onto himself. It's a, it's a yes, he does bring a little bit on that himself, and it's also, I think, hard psychologically from going from the most respected man in professional wrestling to now being like an internet joke. I I, I can I can imagine that that's a hard transition. But I want to say to everybody shitting on Meltzer, and I don't agree with a lot of what Dave Meltzer says. Uh, there's nobody here who spent the like me and David have to watch an obscene amount of wrestling to do this podcast every week. David Meltzer has to do three times that amount. And nobody else is like trying to get house show reports from Paramus, New Jersey. That's what Dave Meltzer's doing. I mean, I I think everybody knows. I mean, the people that don't are just, you know, dodos. Dodos? Dodos. That's an official word. I'm trying to bring Dodo back. You can't say that on the Ringer Podcast Network, by the way. Can't say Dodo. Damn it. Dodo shaming. I mean, listen, Pritchard, Pritchard talks shit about him as a joke. I mean, I think he believes it a little bit, but that's a, it's just a gimmick. I mean, there's no, there's literally no way to do that podcast without the existence of Dave Meltzer. And now everybody, everybody else on Conrad's network, you know, at a, at a, a level of this podcast, but they all, they all shit on Meltzer. And it's like, besides Conrad, um, but it, you know, the guy gets, uh, the, the guy is, is, what is he, a 60-year-old man, or is he late 50s? Yeah, but the reason why the insiders shit on him is because he's the only he's the only recognizable name. That, I mean, the only person that they, you know, they probably blame him for stuff that other people did, and it's just, you know, he's, he's synonymous with, like, dirt sheets or with wrestling reporting. Yeah, and as another sensitive guy, I mean, I've, I've texted you, like, man, was I really, did I really suck this week, you know? Um, I, I, I get it, but no, he doesn't help himself by replying to every single tweet. Wow. Um, anyway, Meltzer tweets in defense of the Super Showdown and the Crown Jewel. Um, I'm going to get that wrong at some point. Is it is Crown? Oh, it's just Crown Jewel, correct? Jim just sent me the list of everything. This is this schedule is bonkers. I'm getting. Do- I'm, we got. Super Showdown October 6th, Evolution October 28th, Crown Jewel November 2nd, Survivor Series November 18th. Then we get, thankfully, get most of a month off between Survivor Series and TLC. Um, and that, yeah, wow. Anyway, so, uh, but here's the thing it kind of, they kind of are glorified house shows. I mean, uh, you, you. I mean, in the way that they're shot, it, that's certainly what it felt like with the, you know, whether they're doing something in Japan or Saudi Arabia. I mean, they, it's like they've trained us so they've trained us so well. WWE. Here's the thing. I, I don't. I understand why they had to call it the greatest Royal Rumble if it was a marketing consideration. Like, if you want to just say that out loud, then just say it. But, you know, we're used to X number of pay per views a year. 
And we know the important ones. But none of it's pay-per-view anymore. So it's... Right, but if you want to make the Australia show matter, have Survivor Series there. Yeah, I agree. That would be nicer. Then we would think something legitimate might happen. I mean, I got really excited this year when they were like, we're cutting back the amount of pay-per-views, and I didn't know that that also came with, we're going to be doing a giant house show every two months. Yeah, it turns out they're not actually changing that much. Um, But you're right. It's a weird situation because these events, they have one or two matches that they book like a pay-per-view match and the rest of it feels like a house show. So in a, in a sense, it's like a tale of and I'm not saying it doesn't, it's weak. They're shows, bad matches. Like you yes. said earlier. It's not, they're it's not bad matches. House shows have some of the best matches. You know, they've met all the matchups you really want to see or some of them. Um, the interesting thing to me is, well, one, you know, we have Brock Lesnar who made his triumphant return on Sunday night. Um, and it may be the it may be the case that this is his last thing he's doing with WWE. It certainly it could be. You couldn't you you couldn't predict that Brock was going to come back in the first place after WrestleMania twenty eight. Oh you know? no no no! I think anything's up for grabs, but I think that like it's totally feasible that he his contract has lapsed and they're done, and then they just got you know the Saudi royal royals gave them a million dollars explicitly for Brock Lesnar's appearance. Sure, and they could be doing that with Shawn Michaels, too, because the Australian pay-per-view comes before that, and a lot of rumors are that it's going to be so, Shawn and H- DX versus the Brothers of Destruction. And Undertaker, too. Oh, really? That's the rumor, which I, I would hate because of the same way they brought Daniel Bryan back. Well, it does sort of feel like they're doing that the, the, in the Saudi Arabia thing, is that they're, they, they have Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns there, I mean, part of part of I think part of the reason why everybody's a little bit confused about these shows is because we thought that we thought that Roman was going to finally win at the Greatest Royal Rumble. We thought he was going to win WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Didn't win there. Oh, they're saving it for Saudi Arabia. But then we see that Saudi Arabia doesn't matter either. You know. But it is interesting that they had the Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns at that show, and they had Braun Strowman winning the Greatest Royal Rumble. Gets that weird green championship belt. And now he's entered in the main event. Like you can almost watch. I wonder if we're going to look back in a couple years and realize that like the Saudi shows are kind of a self-contained universe. That the story, like if all <laughs> you saw, if you lived in Saudi Arabia and all you saw were these big shows, it would still make sense. It would make sense. Um, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't think W, I'm not above like putting it past WWE to put the strap on Braun at that event. Just because, like, I think however Braun wins the title, it's going to be a little weird. Um, so that could happen. I doubt, you know, I don't think it will. I think they're going to go with Roman for a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 by that, by that, you know, logic, I would, it, it would lead to a triple threat match in Saudi Arabia if you're just watching Saudi Arabian pay-per-views. Yeah, exactly. Because that match ended in a non-decision basically mm-hmm. and then this, there's this other guy who's now got this green belt signaling that he's a contender anyway I mean I think we I think part of this is just we don't know what to expect ever anymore and in some sense that's good but you know there was a long time in wrestling history where where the TV was just a commercial for the big weekly or monthly shows, you know, that at the at the at MSG or whatever your local wrestling arena was. That's TV was, you know, basically paid out. It was basically yeah. just like advertising for it. And then that switched and the pay-per-views sort of, you know, I mean in the obviously in the very modern era, the 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 TV ratings were the big money driver and the pay-per-views were just sort of bonus and 
You've seen over the years how WWE has waffled back and forth well, between where uh, between whether to put their biggest moments on Raw or the pay per views. Well, WWE now is is really mirroring social media in the sense that like social media, you're always connected to everything all the time. So WWE has now built a model where you're always connected to WWE all the time. So they're setting up events and they're, you know whether it's a or setting up like social media like a mixed max, mixed uh, tag challenge uh, series they're they're basically keeping you hooked forever you know they're they're appealing to a social media universe yeah yeah no i think that's right i i, I just think that i don't know i always complain about this it's always about expectations and it's like and it, and and it's hard to really appreciate a match in real time one of the best things about hell in a cell this weekend was that like I felt like I really understood the stakes and I felt like everything was happening in a, there were some cool surprises. There were some great moments, but I felt like I under, like I under, I had proper expectations and they were exceeded. WWE exceeded my expectations on almost every front until the kind of weird ending of the main event. Um, that said, it's just all, it's the expectations of these shows are weird. Cause I don't know if I, I honestly, am I allowed to go to a, am I allowed to go to a cookout? Am I allowed to go to my friend's birthday party during, during crown jewel? And then catch up on it the next day, or is this appointment viewing? Is this as I mean, big, look, bigger than Survivor Series? If you have something in your life, guys, I I, I don't want to let the uh, genie out of the lamp here, but I saw David Byrne on Sunday night and then watched Hell in a Cell later. Please don't let wrestling get in the way of life. <laughs> Did you go events. to a David Byrne concert, or you just saw David? Byrne? I saw him. I uh, he's an avid cycler, so I sat <laughs> in his basket. Uh, no, I, uh, I I saw the concert. So don't get your life in the way of it. But like I said before, WWE always wants to have programming going. So you're, it's not about the number that they're trying to reach. It's about you never leaving. So what you're saying In is I should place. go to the cookout. Yeah, go to the cookout. Jim just Jim out. just sent me a TMZ sports video. It's Hulk Hogan saying he's reuniting with the NWO. What does this even mean? And they'd murdered the Shield. I don't know. I haven't watched it. I just saw. Yeah, it. I watched this last week. I think they're just basically promoting the fact that they're. Doing like a NWO Q and A, like a live event shoot interview. I don't think anyone there is wrestling. I would love to see the Shield versus the NWO. And I mean, it would be. No, uh, I mean, in real life, in real life, just the Shield constantly just like standing five feet outside of their reach, and the NWO can't walk to grab them. It would be really fantastic. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I think I, I highly recommend going back to the original point of this uh, this whole conversation. I highly recommend going to the internet and looking at, uh, like, I'm on Squared Circle on Reddit right now uh, for the piece that, that's that's about Dave Meltzer's tweet about 60,000 fans is not a glorified house show. Only because um, it is, there. there is nothing better on the internet than watching 500 people argue about the definition of, a, of whether or not something's <laughs> a glorified house show versus a pay-per-view. But I sympathize with the level of... of I feel like if aliens, thousands... Thousands of years from now, pulled up this Reddit conversation. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, oh, I get why humanity ended. <laughs> <laughs> like a Reddit conversation about Dave Meltzer's take on house shows. I mean, there's nothing more 2018 than that. I think here's the thing. I, I love glorified house shows. I'm in the market for glorified house shows. Going to WWE house shows is one of my favorite things. I frankly think they should set up two cameras at every house show or at least like, you know, do one a weekend. 
and just put that on there uh, for bonus like content. Yeah, I guess. But I, I just mean, it's don't. Like those Coliseum I, videos back in the day. Exactly. I love those. I was weaned on those things. But I would love. But I would love to see. Uh, it's. I'd just, love to see you getting weaned. That's. that's I don't terrible. know what that meant. I just like to know, on some broad sense, what I'm getting into, so that then I can be disappointed after the fact. Or, in the case of Helena Cell, uh, extremely uh, excited because that was a really good show. Um, one thing we didn't talk about, I think, enough was uh, that Mick Foley didn't matter to that match at all, except for him kind of botching. He sold when... the mace pretty well. Yeah, but that could have been anybody, right? Sure, but you know, he still rolled around on the floor and. Feels like they could have found a way to get him involved in in-game a little bit more, too. I um, just don't know what he can physically do at this point. The guy's no, no, no. His... I don't mean taking a bump, but just like give it a little bit more heft. Maybe when they were out for seven minutes, just him going, guys, get up, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is seven minutes. I don't want... Yeah, what if they just, after the match, what if they, or what, what if after Brock had attacked them, they just started taking both Braun and Roman back on gurneys and Mick just walked back and was like, no, that's not how Hell in a Cell ends. And like yanked them off the gurneys and brought them back to the ring. <laughs> you know, they could explain the seven minutes of them not moving or however long it was by just saying like, like what was the one Connor uh, McGregor knockout that looked like it didn't hurt? Oh like, yeah. They could just have a quick like commentary job. Be like, look, sometimes these things hit your body in a different way. Sometimes the spear <laughs> hurts worse than others. No, that was the yes, I totally agree. But the but the point is that they wanted you to. It was just like a TV show when there's something going on in the in the next room, and then you cut back and no time has passed. Like that's what they were trying to accomplish with this weird thing. Yeah. Ooh. Whew. Anyway, it was a good show, man. It was really good. If for some reason you missed any of the matches, if you're one of those people that like were at your friend's cookout on Sunday. You and love bringing out cookouts. I just like saying cookout. It feels yeah. good rolling off the tongue. If you were at your friend's cookout on Sunday and came home and just watched the main event because you wanted to make sure you saw that, go back and watch the rest. Do yourself a favor. Yeah, you're doing yourself a disservice. Pop open a Steve Weiser and uh, kick back and watch the tag match, the women's championship, both uh, the whole card, the whole card. You should have a shoemaker cookout every year where you guys just watch a house show from 1995. Yeah. Coliseum home video cookouts. Isaac Yankum versus Aldo Montoya. <laughs> oh, man. You got to bring up Aldo Montoya and make me sad. Listen, we're going to try something new because we always end up uh, ending these podcasts. I feel like a little bit worn out, a little bit tired, a little bit down on the product. So, as a very special extra bonus, starting now and never ending, we have a new, new segment on the show. It is called The Crown Ju I'm just kidding. It is called... <laughs> Uh, the hope spot. Hope and spot. I, and I want to, at the end every week, saying one thing that maybe we didn't talk about yet. Maybe we did. I don't know. But so one, the one thing that makes you excited and hopeful for watching TV again next week. What happened this week? Two words. Leo Rush. Yeah. That's the answer. I mean, he was, wow, just it, really it's good. Just incredibly acrobatic. I will say this, and I don't mean, I, I don't want to knock this. Um, I, I I know I've said this before, but I was I remember watching wrestling, um, with my dear friend and, and the co-host of my other podcast, Brian Curtis. This is over a decade ago, but it was when, uh, Darren Drozdov was like not post LOD two thousand, and he was like not over. And then they put Prince Albert with him, and Brian looked over, and he was just like, 
yeah, I have a great idea about what you do with somebody that nobody's interested in. Give them a friend that no one's interested in. <laughs> and it feels like there is a little bit Dude, of this that. This is supposed to be the hope spot. No, 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 no. In general, there is a lot of that going on, you know, and it's not that's an overstatement, but like, you know, we're putting we're we're putting some tag you know, teams you, together. You, before that don't we start need this to be podcast, we're like, this is going to be scheduled. There's going to be a hope spot, and then you still turn into Tommy Lee Jones at the end of No Country for <laughs> Old Men, no matter how hard we try. It's true. Um, but this is the other. This is the opposite version of that. I was so excited to see Leo Rush. Yeah, I you know I I think that you know even though <laughs> again I'm trying to be even though Bobby Lashley <laughs> almost dropped him on his head. Uh, it, it was great seeing him bounce around. He's a great foil for Kevin Owens. He's a great foil for. Elias and the guy, you know, can talk. Is he a little annoying? Probably, but you know, that, that all the reason for a heel turn, as we're seeing with Aiden English's heel turn on SmackDown, it just sets up, sets it up perfectly. Or you get a Lashley heel turn out of it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's. I, I think that the most exciting thing about it, and I hope you know the powers that be at WWE can see this, is that managers still work. You could you can give a guy another guy and have him. You know, polished a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I think so too. New coat of paint on Bobby Lashley with Leo Rush. Yeah, I, I think that's. I, I think that's right, and I think that it's that it's. Um, you know, with the authors of pain have their little manager now too. Although I'm not, I don't know how I feel about him wearing the outfits or whatever, but I kind of like it. I mean, it's funny, but come on. And I mean, someone it, brought up uh, it's a little bit. It's a little bit Spike Dudley. You know, it was la- la- last last week. I said there's no place for camo in wrestling, and then somebody uh, did a screenshot of Corey Graves in a camo suit, and was like, "Dan Saint Germain is right." Um, but no, I mean, you know, they can't all be little guys. That can't be the new norm. That would be funny though if they dissolved Two Hundred Five Live and each one of them becomes a manager. Oh, that'd be so good. <laughs> I'm totally in on this. Um, yeah, so anyway, I'm I'm very excited about Leo Rush. I think it's really good, especially in, and this goes back to my 205 and 305 live uh, marketing proposal. Um, I think it's good to, to have some size discrepancy on the main roster, especially as it's getting a little bit smaller, right? Where they to have 405 live and it's just them trying to lose weight with yeah. like medical professionals. <laughs> I just think it's nice to see Kevin Owens standing next to a dude who's so much smaller than him. I mean, that's what we've needed for Kevin Owens for a long time is we need that Monster Hill Owens back. And what better way to do that with a guy who looks like he's 170 pounds soaking wet? 170 is giving him a lot of credit. That guy's small and he's great. He's a good talker. And they're going to do some fun stuff with that. And suddenly, suddenly, with just one little addition, uh, I care so much more about this thing that's happening on WWE. And I think Bobby Lashley kind of got a, a little bit of a louder pop when he came out because of Leo Rush. Maybe I'm yeah. Just no, I think it's going to help Lashley. That. I think it's going to help Lashley a lot. Um, and that's you know Lashley's just he's not he's just not that interesting a fellow. So let him be muscle. Bring back managers. Bring back uh, Michael Hayes and the Jeff Hardy outfit. Bring them all back. Breaking news as we're having this podcast. We have to get out of here. But Rey Mysterio was officially signed with WWE. Hell yeah. I was just watching. Oh, and this is a good transition. Tomorrow on my other wrestling podcast, Total F and Marks, where we, myself, Dan Soder, and James Madden are rewatching Greed, uh, the last WCW pay-per-view before they go out of business. So please check it out. But uh, Rey Mysterio was doing spots there that were incredible. It's amazing. He's been good the whole time. That's what we came up with. Yeah. 
He's been good the whole time. <sighs> He's very good. Leo Rush is very good. Dan St. Germain, you're very good. Is there, well, any, thank is there anything you. else that you want to plug besides your other podcast, <laughs> Total F and Marks? <laughs> yes. Uh, as always, no real winners here, which you can get on my website or 800 Pound Grill websites. My new album came out in August. And uh, Total F and Marks, like I said, and I'll be this weekend, I'll be at the uh, Comedy Cellar Village Underground all weekend for the late shows on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So check it out. I have links to the tickets on my website. Everybody go. I'm going to go. I don't really know if I'm going to go. He I'm, probably won. He's I, got a lot of responsibilities. I got a lot of responsibilities. Uh, thank you to The Ringer. Thank you to The Ringer Podcast Network. Thank you to our heel producer, Jim. Um, and apologies, as always, to Dean Ambrose. We'll see you back here next week, humanoids. We are desperately out of time. The tape machines are rolling. We'll see you next week on The Mass Man Show. Oh, it's I'd just, love to see you getting weaned. Ooh. Whew. Anyway. Yeah, show the ear. There is nothing more frightening. <laughs>